right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 258. And with that number, we're going to give a shout out to Ashley Hatch of the Washington Spirit. Her current goal per game ratio is 0.258. She had the game winner last Saturday versus Orlando to help the Spirit win 2-1. So she's had 16 goals in her 62 NWSL games, and she was the 2017 NWSL Rookie of the Year. So, two chats today. First, with my friend Jen Hildreth from the NWSL broadcast, but also the new ACC network, where Jen will be one of the hosts for the women's soccer coverage. So, we talked about this network, her work covering women's college soccer. We kind of got sidetracked talking about Mark Kokorian in Florida State. Um, and then we talked a little bit NWSL as well. And then my second chat is with Jason Anderson of Black and Red United. Jason's been covering the Washington Spirit for a long time. And he and I had a great chat about the Spirit's record-baking crowd at Audi Field uh, last Saturday night. More than 19,000 to more than double the club's record for biggest home crowd. And we talked, too, about their 2-1 win over Orlando to keep their playoff hopes alive. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with soccer broadcaster extraordinaire Jen Hildreth, fresh off her first game calling uh, on the ACC network. So Jen, tell me, tell me all about the ACC network. Well, I think the first thing we would all say as women's soccer fans is it's about time, right? The ACC <laughs> women's soccer. Uh, no, I'm very excited to be a part of it, obviously. And, um, and we were a little bit worried that our first ever live broadcast on ACC Network might indeed end in a 0-0 draw, but only at Berkeley and Florida State ensured that did not happen. They gave us drama instead, and <laughs> that was a nice way to get things started. Um but, yeah, I, I think as someone who's covered the Atlantic Coast Conference essentially my entire career in some capacity, I've been in every sport in a multitude of roles in studio on the field. And I just remember always being flabbergasted, really, that this league with women's soccer did not have a real television platform. And they now do. And I think that is it's just awesome. I mean, the level of soccer is so high and with 10 teams from the league going to the NCAA tournament last year it's great soccer all over the place so I'm so excited to be a part of it I'm definitely sad to leave a lot of my SEC friends behind I've done SEC soccer for a long long time but um, I, I knew that when ACC Network came about it was certainly a place that I had my sights set on as somewhere I'd like to be and I'm very happy to be a part of it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but ACC, like SEC, usually has by far the most teams in the NCAA tournament. And that you don't even, sometimes the teams that don't even make the ACC conference tournament mm-hmm. still make the NCAA tournament. Correct. Yes, I am. I'm in Winston-Salem, North Carolina right now, home of the Wake Forest Seaman Deacons. And they are one of those teams that last year did not make the ACC conference tournament, but then did make the NCAA tournament and they, they did, they did very well. They wound up being Ohio state and West Virginia, you know, one of the, I think one of the teams that's been amongst the favorites these last few years. So 
that goes to show you right there, strength of the conference. I mean, look at Florida State last year. They finished seventh in the ACC, seventh, and then they went on to win the conference tournament <laughs> and win the NCAA championship. It almost makes me think of Europe and the Women's World Cup, you know, other than the aberration of the U.S. women. It's like, you know, we had seven of eight quarterfinalists were out of Europe. Oh, and that yeah. you, you think of how competitive the next Women's Euro is going to be, just – Oh my gosh. Only 16 teams. And yeah. Yeah. So it's every, every year I'm stunned when I look at the list of who's in the NCAA tournament and I, and I shouldn't be stunned just because of the the history of SEC and ACC and how strong those, those teams are. And what I love is that because the conference is so strong, it like keeps everybody competitive, right? Like you have have to to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah, it is, it is truly one of those any given day you could lose to any given team in the league. And I, I think that is definitely true in, in this league in particular. Now, what is it like for you as, as someone who's called a lot of SEC and, and also ACC um, to then in the spring, you know, you get to jump into calling NWSL games, not as many this year, obviously, but you're getting to see those players who you watched as freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors, then like turn pro play a longer season, play at a higher level. Yeah. I love that. I, I, I hope that that connection is also what the people who follow those players in college kind of feel. And when you get a chance to see someone that you've watched for the last four or five years, whatever it's been, then get to do it on that big stage. It it is a lot of fun. And, you know, I, just CC Kaiser is a name that pops into my head here recently is just someone who, uh, you know, and she's, oh gosh, she's Houston. Isn't she, Jen? You should mm-hmm. talk about yeah. it. I'm gonna make yeah. sure. Okay. Just making sure, <laughs> just making sure I didn't have my boards in front of me. But, you know, I remember CC at Ole Miss and her, her head coach is a good friend of mine. We went to the same high school. So, you know, just, I think the connections are really what keep people engaged in any sport, in any game. And the more of those there are, the more connected you feel, no matter who you are, if you're a broadcaster, fan, viewer, whatever, to what's going on in front of you. And I, I do love getting the chance to see some of these young ladies then get the chance to to compete in the NWSL, which is, as we know, the most competitive league in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I always enjoy catching you know you're usually on the college cup you know those last four games and then you know prepping for the draft the next month of just like that that transition and then at this point in the season like who is who's survived you know and who's who's made a roster you know of course last year was so tough with the contraction of, of Boston that we didn't really get to see a lot of rookies break through and this year has been so different because one rosters are bigger, but two with the world cup gap, you had, mm-hmm. you, you had a lot of players get to come in and, and prove their worth. And, you know, it's, it's just so exciting to see even players that went undrafted, you know, m- making an, an impact. And I haven't run the numbers, but I'm sure if I do, there's a lot, lot of ACC and, and SEC numbers. Of course, that now that that's stuck in my head, I'm going to have to do that for the next time. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah, it's, it's like totally I usually do by college. You <laughs> yeah, I usually do by college. I haven't done as much by conference, but yeah, yeah. It, it, it would totally make sense, you know, to, to see that. So 
I know it's very early in the season and you've only called that that one game, which I love it. Had a, it had a golden goal, but I, I think you, when I was watching the game, you referred to it like not as sudden death, but sudden victory. I think, I think you were using the NCAA phrasing. <laughs> yes, yes, it's the PC term. That's what we go with. Yes, sudden victory, golden goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so what games are coming up as um, the, you know, I'm assuming there's a featured game of the week and and what teams are you most looking forward to to covering? Yeah. So we'll we'll kind of, the schedule is still a little bit like we've got a game Wednesday night this week. So that's a little different. You know, I think we're going to have more that Thursday, Sunday, the more regular type of dates, at least from my schedule in ACC. I've got Santa Clara visiting Wake Forest tonight. I'm actually really excited about that one because, we don't get a chance to see a lot of these West coast teams. So getting a chance to do some of these non-conference matchups and seeing these teams who are not afraid to challenge one another in their non-conference schedule, I think is awesome to watch Santa Clara ranked in the top 20 right now. You know, they're one of those teams that people don't know an awful lot about. They're not on a network. They're in the West coast conference. So you don't see or hear an awful lot about them other than the fact that they just kind of always seem to be hovering around, you know, and they're going to be right. a center in the NCAA tournament. So I'm excited to see them in person. Um, And then actually this weekend, we've got West Virginia and Virginia, which I'm so excited about that matchup too. Um, I follow, kept a close eye out of conference on West Virginia, had them in the 2016 college cup when they made their first appearance there. My husband is an alum of West Virginia. So he even follows them, um, which has been fun. So I think getting to see that matchup, getting to see the Cavaliers, another top 10 team, one of four, top 10 ranked teams this week in the ACC and way down on the calendar there is a little matchup in Chapel Hill Florida State North Carolina which of course happens to be a rematch of both the ACC and NCAA championship from last year yes excited about that but you know as I said with with four teams right now ranked in the top 10 we're going to see all of them. And I'm excited to just week in, week out, get into that regular schedule of seeing these teams. I've been so impressed so far. And I think one of the words that I've heard a couple times already from coaches, and it started with Mark Krikorian, and I heard a lot of his players say it last year, was that they, they run it very professionally. I mean, that, they, they try to have these players ready to be pros so that when they step onto the field, it's not quite as much of a jolt. It's always going to be a shock when they get to a different level, professional level. But uh, you get that sense that that's really the way a lot of these programs are run. And just seeing the training facilities, the money that is put into women's soccer has been so encouraging to see with the facilities. I mean, I got a tour this morning from Wake Forest head coach Tony Deleuze was nice enough to take me around. And it's incredible. I just makes my heart happy to see these women's teams being supported as much as they are. And now we get a chance to showcase that. Well, and it's funny that you talked about um, how, you know, that, that they're preparing them to be pros, that they're treating them as pros, because uh, in the weekly podcast that I've been doing with Dash players, one of, when I asked T.C. Kaiser, I said, you know, how, how has it been transitioning to the pros? This was her response. I'm not used to flying commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I, I knew SEC was like a money conference, but I had never 
really thought about how that money would trickle down to, to soccer. I just assumed that that was like a football, baseball, basketball thing. No, that's every sport. You know, pretty so. nice to hear, isn't it? And I don't know that it's like it's that's. I would say that's more rare than the norm. Right, but right. Still, that's great to see. Right, though, when when we see Wayne Rooney tweeting complaining that you know DC United is playing commercial, <laughs> and CC Kaiser has to say, you know, oh, I'm not used to playing commercial. It's, it's interesting to see, but it's also so nice to hear the level of investment at, at those schools. And, you know, if you ever see the videos of like their locker room tour that, you know, that kind of thing of just like how, yeah. how much the school treats, these, these schools treat all the sports as yes. um, professional sports. And, and well, I have to ask you about, well, go ahead, go ahead. No, I just was going to say in the broader discussion, which has been, you know, we just had women's equality day. Of course there's the U S women's national team that they're in the lawsuit against U.S. soccer, talking about equality. I mean, this is part of that conversation. This is part of what they are fighting for is to make this the norm so that you go to a college campus, for example, and it trickles down to there that you see that these programs are being treated in this way. And the more that we can get on that page, the better. I mean, that, that is really, that's what's been so heartening to me to see some of this. And I've, you know, I've seen the other side of it too, the the disheartening side where they're not getting what they need or especially in years past. So I think this is part of exactly what they're talking about wanting to see. And it's, it's not as simple or as sexy as equal pay. You know, we want to be paid the same as men. It, it, it's fighting for that behind the scenes stuff. Right. Um, which just, you know, it's not as catchy of a headline, but it's just as important, if not more important, that, hey, if the men's team is going to be given three trainers and a nutritionist and this kind of locker room and this kind of travel, we should have the same thing. That's you exactly know? right. Re- regardless yep. of revenue generated, regardless of performance, I don't think it, it should ever be performance based. You know, it, does, it, does, it wouldn't matter and it shouldn't matter if the U.S. women were ranked 50th in the world right, of first, right. right? like it, it's it's especially with you know u.s soccer being a nonprofit, but but yeah i i think that's that's the heartening thing to see you know, see on the college side and like you said it's not every college and obviously the the conferences that that have big money from big tv contracts that are mostly due to to football in some cases mm-hmm. basketball it's like they they can afford to do that but we also know that there's a lot of schools that spend big money on football and don't have it. So it's like, well, hey, That's if you're right. going to do that, you might as well. <laughs> like, something for everyone, you know? Yeah. But I, I want to go back to Mark Krikorian since, you know, you've called Florida State games. Um, you know, I think you you even called games in the WSA, so you probably called some games that he I was have. You know, um, thoughts on how he would be as a U.S. national team coach, regardless of, <laughs> regardless of if he would want it or if they would offer it to him. But, you know, you've, well, you've watched his programs for years. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, I will preface this by saying I did ask him about that and he's, he's not interested. He does not want the job. Um, he said that in the most respectful way. He's had experience with U.S. soccer in a variety of roles throughout the years. And just, you know, he's happy where he is. He, he, he's staying at Florida State. So 
let's first say that. Secondly, I think he'd be great. Now, I do think me just on the outside saying that is different than what maybe the players would say. They have a they have a better perspective of exactly what they are looking for. You know, okay, Mark Graff would love to pick her brain and hear what she's thinking as she's on this search and looking for coaches. But just in terms of what makes him appealing, it's a lot of what we talked about with he creates this professional atmosphere. He is developing soccer players that can think. So he has a lot of talent. There's no doubt about that. He finds a way to blend all these different international cultures, which is very much what you're going to have on a professional team as well. Or, you know, when you, you're getting and playing on a national team level, uh, you're going to have to be going against different types of cultures and things like that. But, um, you know, I think he does a great job of still finding a way to develop, but also to push the game forward in the direction we all want to see it go, you know, playing beautiful soccer, but still at the same time, knowing when to adjust, how to correct what might need to be corrected game by game, allow his players to make their decisions on the field. I mean, he, I believe empowers them to feel like they can make the right decision, that they've had the right training and they obviously have the skill to then when they get out on the field, they're going to decide and they're going to know what they need to do and how they want to go about it. So, I mean, I think his track record, you know, is, speaks for itself in that sense to national championships in the last five years and in the toughest conference in the country, finding a way to come out of it and, and still have, and then he's got a great number of players that are playing professionally too. He said, you know, I think there's several that are overseas at the moment from last year's team who graduated, but you know, he, he said he's had lots of teams come back and contact him and say, Hey, your players really are, are ready more so than most when they get to the pro league. And I think that right there, that's what would be so appealing yes. to someone at U.S. soccer. Yes, definitely. And, you know, just like, you know, I, I know SEC and ACC would have the most uh, players in NWSL. I know Florida State is way up there, maybe like second on all-time players drafted. You know, and, yeah. and, and yeah. understandably, when you look at the last five years and – just their, their streak for getting, to, you know, to the college cup and to the final and yeah, an a, amazing program. And so international too. Like I, I wonder if that affords an extra little advantage to the American players playing there where you get exposed to so many different kinds of styles of play. Oh, I think so. I think so. And it was really interesting, actually. We didn't get into it in the broadcast. We know I've, I've covered Mark's teams for a number of years and I know I've asked him about the international recruiting in the past, but he told us a story when we talked to him before the game last week that I'd never heard him tell before, which I just thought was really interesting. And um, Angela Hughes Leeds had asked him, you know, where, where did this all start? How did you start looking into the international pool, if you will? Yeah. A place to recruit. And he, you know, he went way back in his career um, when he was coaching you know, division two. And I, I think he said when he came into that program, and was it maybe Franklin Pierce? I'm forgetting the name of his program where he was early in his career. But um, he said, you know, when he got there and he looked around and he said the two best players on the team when he got there were Swedish. And he started talking to them and asked where they, play, where they played in Sweden. And they played, you know, the third or fourth division or something. And he said, oh, okay, that's interesting. And he said, so are the first and second division players in Sweden? Are most of them pros? And they said, oh, no, not really. And that's when he said, okay, I need to go check these people out because here are these two fourth division players 
who are killing it here at the NCAA level, what else might I find if I go out looking there, you know? So I, I just thought it's funny sometimes how people get started on certain paths, right, of what they're going to go after. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's not something that happens because you flipped a switch, but it's like a long, slow evolution of, of contacts that, you, that you've built. Yeah, and speaking of contacts, when he went to Sweden, guess who he bumped into? Pia Sundaga. <laughs> and so, so then that partnership, you know, began. And he, uh, just to me, that's what he said. It's all about making those relationships. And the same, same to when um, it's here in the U.S., when you go to relationships and keeping your promise. And I think the other thing about his program and many other programs, too, that these top-level programs who get these players in who are going to be U20 players or who are potential national team players or theirs or other teams, will they be encouraged, not just allowed, but encouraged to leave their college team and go play for their international team when those conflicts arise? And I mean, I know that's something, you know, Anson Dorrance in North Carolina, I've talked to him about that and Mark at Florida State and you know, a lot of these coaches, they understand they want these players to go and succeed at the international level and to be able to make that promise to them, look, I'm not going to get in the way of your international career. I'm going to help you while you're here in college. We're going to keep developing you. And yes, you're going to still go play with your national team. Even if our college team has to take a hit while that happens, I'm going to respect that, keep my promise to you. I think that means a lot to these players. Oh, and then as, as we know, because the, the soccer community is so connected, it's like that gets out, that spreads. You have players mm -hmm. talking about this school, this coach, this program was so supportive of my right. international absences. Yes. Yep. And I think about what a difficult year last year was for a lot of teams with the U20 World Cup going on. And right. part of the reason Florida State struggled throughout the regular season and finished seventh in the conference. They didn't even take their team picture until right before the ACC tournament because that was the first time they had the whole team together. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you, you take that chance, but in the, in the long run, they feel it's worth it. Well, and, and then we get the, the, the benefit of seeing a lot of these Florida State players play in NWSL, you know, uh, Jamia Field mm -hmm. with, with, with the Dash, back with the Dash, you know, Dagny Brignard's daughter um, at, Casey at Portland, Short. Casey Short at Chicago. Like, you can't not have a Florida State player, it seems like, Tori Huster with Washington Spirit. Um, so, so speaking of NWSL, um, you know, I know we only had the, the national games basically halfway through the season. So you've only been able to call the NWSL games since July, but, but what has been, you know, the most exciting part of, of this season for you so far? I think how competitive it is at the top. We, we always talk about this being a competitive league, but I think about last season, North Carolina was just rolling, right? And it was just not a matter of if, but when they were going to win the shield and the regular season title and now look at it this year. I mean, it's such a battle. I'm looking at the standings right now, and it is not just even the top four. There is a little bit of separation, of course, but as you go down the standings, I mean, you now have to go down when you're looking at those top four playoff spots, and you're going all the way down even to Houston in seventh place, really. So you've got seven of the nine teams right now that are still very much in contention for those top four playoff spots to think about how heated it's going to be to battle for who gets to host those semifinals. I mean, yes. I it's, it's been twofold in that. I think the teams at the top have, are, are still 
impressive. It's still Portland and North Carolina and Chicago to me, who I think have been the cream of the crop the last few years and then continuing this year. You know, those three teams in their different ways that they go about things. And I maybe Portland right now is hitting their stride. They seem to be. I don't think North Carolina has hit it yet. I think Chicago still has some figuring out to do. But even saying that, they are still right up there. And um, I've have been a lot of fun to watch and are very competitive. And then that, that sort of next tier of teams, which right now is Utah, Rain FC, you know, I think the Spirit and then Dash are right there at the bottom of that group too. I think seeing that competition has been really exciting. And, and then even for Sky Blue FC, I mean – Anyone who's watching this league or who has watched this league, I think, has to feel elated that that program has finally been able to have some success with with all that they've gone through as a club on and off the field to now see them finding ways to grind out and pick up wins. I mean, that's that's what this league is about. And then the game last Saturday, which, um, you know, because the TV schedule is set pretty late, it probably would have been the game of the week if it you know, if, if we'd had the schedule set at the beginning of the season, Washington selling out Audi field, uh, uh, yeah. more than doubling its previous highest attendance. I knew that they had sold more than 12,000 tickets before the game. That was the last I had heard. And I was listening to that game in my ear while I was sitting in the press box at the, at the Houston game. And I heard the announcer say, you know, it's like, oh, it's official. It's a sellout. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, like, how big is Audi Field? And they're like, yeah, more than 19,000 right. people. And I'm like, what? Like, that's <laughs> so, so exciting. Um, it, it is. And that's another one. I mean, I I was so happy to see that as well. And and it's it's for everyone. It's for the fans to go there and to get to be a part and feel what that environment can feel like and know that it is, it's them. They're creating it, and they have the power to do that. And then also for those players to be able to get in that environment and all of them at some point or another have played in front of big crowds. If they've traveled to Portland, for example, but to be able to play in front of your own crowd and have it be a sellout like that. I mean, that, that was special. And, and win the game. And, yeah. and you oh, know, awesome. you know that the bulk of the people there, it was probably their first game, first women's soccer game or, first women's soccer game that wasn't the national team or first women's soccer right. game in a really long time. But it, it's like enough of a buzz that they should be like, Hey, it might be worth driving out to the Plex. Or I, I know they have at least one more game, you know, at Audi. So like, Oh, let me go ahead and get tickets for that. Just like continue that momentum. And that's one of the things that I appreciate about the schedule of this season compared to 2015, where 2015, the last games of the season were Labor Day weekend for regular season. Mm. So yeah. there was there was a pretty short window, about six weeks, to take advantage of that World Cup bump. And here we have an additional six week window basically of of games. You know, of regular right. season games, not not even not even playoffs. So I'm so I'm hoping even as we get into the very crowded fall calendar that, you know, that's something that they can continue to take advantage of. Um, and I'm really intrigued to see if maybe we get someone sneaking into the playoffs with those top three teams that, you know, it, it is a surprise. Like what if it were the spirit? What if it were right. the Houston just sneaking in because of how close the, the, the standings are? 
you know, um, or, you know, seeing Laura Harvey get a team back in the playoffs for the first time since, since 2015. It's like all the stories, like all those storylines are great. It would just, you know, it's going to be so exciting to watch. And I'm just happy that it's not like last year where only one week out of the entire season did we not see North Carolina on top. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sure they would prefer to be on top every week, but it's it just like, it, it speaks to how incredibly competitive this, this league is. So la- last question. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't want to force you into corner of who do you predict, you know, will be the final mm-hmm. four in, in NWSL. Um, but, but let's say who do you, who do you think will be our, you know, su- our, our leading, let me think how I want to say this. Okay. No, okay. Who's okay. Who's going to be the star of the last 25% of the season? Ooh, from a team or that? individual standpoint? Either either one you want to go with. Either one. I, I think individual would be more interesting, just ba- based on what on what you've you've seen from the games you've called. You know um, what I'm wishing I had in front of me right now were all my team by team schedules. I don't have those in front of me, so <laughs> that that would play because that would play. And that's a part. really smart. I, that's really smart. It all depends on who they have left to play. Well. And I mean, I think you look at Portland and the fact that they're at home pretty much the rest of the way and they're playing well and they're winning. I, they're going to be my top pick at the moment. Now, I, I think North Carolina is going to continue to just keep trucking away. I'm curious to see with Chicago if they can find another consistent threat other than Sam Kerr because she's fantastic. But I think for them to be the story – they need someone else consistently to be able to be there helping her more so than what they've gotten, at least uh, these last few games where they've dropped a few. So I don't know if that, that can count. I, I think also, you know, you mentioned Laura Harvey and that press A-Rod connection finally getting going. I know, I know. that's that, Jen. I know you always made me aware of it and the fact that now those <laughs> two are finally clicking together that's dangerous yes. so they could be the story going down the stretch but like I said I I'm doing that without looking at their schedules so <laughs> it's a little more challenging but th- those are my top of the mind thoughts and and hey coming up we have first ever NWSL game of the weeks that are weeknight games <laughs> yes, we do. Make sure everybody's aware of that. Put it on your calendar. Right? So that was a little staggering when I saw that at first. I've got a I've got a Wednesday night game tonight, and they're uh, with college. Yeah, but there are obviously a couple of those midweek coming up. I will be on one of those. I will be on the September 11th Orlando Chicago match, which I'm looking forward to. Looking forward to seeing Orlando in person for the first time this season. I know it's been a rough season for them, but I. I Really anxious to see this team, talk to the coach, and hopefully they're going to have a healthy Alex Morgan. That'd be nice for them to have her back on the field. I, I do think that's been something that's a little bit disappointing. Um, it's just the number of U.S. national team players that have not been able to really get back fully for their club teams yet so far for whatever variety of reasons. And not that that's necessarily anyone's fault. It's just, I think, unfortunate slash also encouraging that the bump continues even without some of those big stars being able to be on the field. Like you mentioned that Audi field game, you know, Alex Morgan, yeah. Rose Lavelle, 
and still they got a great product. And I think that is the sort of silver lining of that situation. Yeah, I'm just, it's, I'm really excited to see this last stretch of the stretch of the season, especially when a lot of the teams have a very condensed schedule. So you're, you're, you're smart to go, wait, it depends on who's playing who. I gotta, I gotta look at that. Um, always prepared. That's Jen Hildreth. But, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk ACC and Florida state and NWSL and, um, looking forward to, uh, following, both ACC Network and, of course, uh, the games on NWSL. My pleasure. Thank you for letting me talk a little more women's soccer. Love to do it. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper, here with Jason Anderson, managing editor from Black and Red United, which means, of course, covering teams in the D.C. area. Jason, I'm so excited to talk to you today about that huge, amazing game at Audi Field last weekend, which was not a D.C. United game. Yeah, it was it was uh, pretty remarkable to see. I mean, it's been a, it's been a while since a crowd like that has shown up for women's soccer in D.C. or the D.C. area altogether. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty, pretty wild um, to to sum it up yeah so tell me how this this crowd ended up happening because you know last summer spirit had one game at Audi Field almost 8,000 fans which set a record for the franchise for a home crowd and uh, yeah that was very respectable and I had heard last week early last week leading up to the game you know about 12,000 tickets had been distributed and I was thinking wow that's great the club has clearly done some work, taking advantage of the of the World Cup bump. But I was, frankly, surprised to hear on the broadcast that it, it was sold out. I mean, that, that final number, over 19,000, was double the previous high attendance. So, so tell me the story of how the spirit made that crowd happen. Uh, they've, been, they've been working on that uh, game all year. Um, they've been laying the groundwork or had been laying the ground for it, uh, groundwork for it since the beginning of the season. Um, back right after the World Cup ended, um, they had we had a little uh, open training session um, for for a few media members uh, to attend. And I was talking to someone that works for the team um, while uh, watching the training session. And this was back in, I guess, the second week of July. And they were already talking about having sold about 6,500 to 7,000 tickets at that point, um, which meant to me, like, within the next couple of days, they were going to surpass um, their their record already, uh, the record from the, the game against Portland in 2018. So I knew at that point that, you know, that they they were in range for a sellout at that point. You still had a long, long way to go, but they had at least um, – you know, set themselves up where they were in a situation where they didn't have to sell the last 5,000 tickets in the last couple of days before the game. Um, so even at that point, it was a big deal within their offices, within the ticket sales, within everyone at the club. Um, I know talking to some of the people that are there, it's been a lot of uh, long days. Um, you know, they've staffed up quite a bit as well. I think that's made you, maybe not getting enough attention, um, which might be partially on me. Um, the fact that, <laughs> um, 
just, you know, compared to last year, if you attended a spirit game as media last year, you'd see plenty of employees, but um, the first home game I went to this year at, at the Plex, I looked around and it just seemed like there were, it felt like there were double the number of just team employees doing stuff related to the game, whether it's people working with media, ticket sales, um, corporate sponsorship folks, just across the board. You just saw more people doing stuff uh, that pertain to running a team. And it was like, oh, they've just hired a lot of people. And now that means that everyone has less on their plate, which means they can do more of their job um, rather than being overextended all the time. And so it kind of, that sort of sets the platform up to succeed as well. And and I think that um, that that really, this sellout really kind of showed what you can do when you've got the, um, you know, the money from ownership to actually staff up to that extent. Um, it really, it goes a long way. And, and the ticket sales, um, going back to that, it, that kept, it seemed to be at a steady rate throughout July and, um, the, the first half of this month. Um, I think they were coming into the week of the game. I, I want to say they were at like 16,000 sold and, I had been told by the spirit a few times over the years that, um, and I, I think this kind of is a pro sports, uh, this is a regular pro sports thing, but um, unsurprisingly, your your main thrust uh, in selling tickets comes in the last like three days before a game. Um, outside of the the hugest events, you're going to get a lot of say, people making the decision close to game day to buy a ticket. Um, and so the fact that they were already in that like 16,000 range, that was it kind of hit home at that point. It's like, okay, they're going to sell the place out. Um, like yeah, I, at this point, yeah. I expect I them to get it done. I wouldn't have been as floored. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, at that point it was like, okay, they're going to get there. Um, but there's, you know, it's one thing to hear the numbers and know, you know, I cover DC United as well. So I'm there on a regular basis with a, a big crowd. So I'm, you know, used to what that looks like, but it's one thing to hear the numbers. Um, it's another thing to, you know, walk up from where media parks and come around the corner and see this huge line of people uh, stacked up waiting to get into the gate, uh, get in, you know, for the gates to open. And then you realize that it's not just one line, it's many lines. Um, and it's sort of like, it really hits home. Like they, they, this is really going to happen. They're really going to fill this place up as if it were, uh, a DC United game. Uh, the the numbers are not going to be different. Um, if anything, um, I think DC's only had, I want to say two or three attendances um, uh, in that in that range this year, um, where they've uh-huh. they've gone because there's I think I think it's nineteen thousand four hundred seats in the building, and then they've got standing room that gets them up to, I want to say like twenty thousand two hundred or so is the the standing room maximum. Um, mm-hmm. uh, or at least that's the, the number that DC is given. I, you know, I'm not counting each individual person, uh, myself, but, yeah. um, yeah, uh, just knowing that they were going to get to a point where they were, um, selling the standing room tickets so that every seat had been sold, um, you know, that, that really, it, it speaks to the improvements of their organization that, um, the, they've been working uh, harder. There are more people there, but it's also, I think um, maybe strategically they've, they've learned some things and, and figured out some angles that weren't being explored before. And it's all, it all came together um, to make this happen. It, it doesn't hurt that, you know, Rose Lavelle scored a goal in the world cup final. 
Um, of course and if you, not. <laughs> if, you, if you ask anyone that works for the team, um, they'll tell you that, you know, they were getting a lot of inquiries, a lot of ticket interest before that, but the change from the day before the final to the day after the final um, was noticeable and it never really let up. Um, people are understandably pretty excited to see a World Cup final goal scorer play for their local team. Uh, it turns out that's kind of a big deal. And and I even noticed that uh, the the first game back where Rose played, which was on the road, Sky mm-hmm. Blue, like the buzz there, um, you know, for for that for that broadcast, you you could tell that 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 had a lot to do with it. It's like, oh, this name we know, this this player who's been feted, she's going to be here. Yeah, um, and and that it it's kind of you know we talk about the World Cup bump, and this is one of those like specific um you know there's the general world cup bump that everyone gets but then there's that specific um you know certain players stand out megan rapino i'm sure um, right you know that's your rain fc is coming to audi field for the second game there and um i'm sure that there are going to be a ton of people coming out in part to see to see her hopefully they're not just there to see her i think uh it's it was cool to see the number of people who might have been there just to see their national team favorite players and then they ended up being impressed with everything they saw uh, I think that was also I think for for the spirit that was kind of a big deal it, and even to their you know if you asked Rose Lavelle and Mal Pugh they'd say the same thing that um, it's not just about coming out to see the 23 players from the national team um, the league is full of players that are at that level um, and seeing you know, it was a fun game um, the spirit won uh, all that all that stuff kind of worked itself out in the ideal, the ideal way. It kind of, um, I don't know that they could have asked for more because the game was dramatic. It had good goals. It had a little intensity. There was that little mix up at the end with um, uh, Emsley and, and Feist both getting booked, uh, arguing over a ball. So there was all kinds of, all the kind of stuff that you would want to happen in that game uh, went the way I think the spirit would want. Uh, they got the result they wanted. They got the performance they, they wanted more or less. And um, yeah, it kind of, it kind of uh, all it's like a perfect storm in a, in a way. Yeah, and I, I'm always interested at looking, um, you know, at these post World Cup games. Which which matchups, uh, you know, are, are drawing the bigger crowds? Um, because as we've seen, you know, some clubs will have the big peak game, and then it and then it drops off because. You know, as as you mentioned, the, you know, the spirit have been working on this a month. So you kind of target a game as like, hey, we know that one will be the first one back. Um, and it's it is hard to just sustain that. But tell me about what you've seen the spirit do planning for their next home game at Audi Field. So unlike last year, where you just had the one game here, they've got another game at Audi Field. So you pack the house, you know here's the crowd. You gave them a great game. How do you bring them back? Um, I think a lot of it has been um, trying to make sure to connect people that this isn't just a one-off um, trying to, you know, they're, they're leaning on some impressions that they got from uh, even, you know, folks in the media, um, you know, people that aren't necessarily there all the time um, uh-huh. showed up for this game. And we're like, this was really cool. Um, this was a, this was a really cool event and I want to go back for the next one. Um, so they've been, 
pretty intelligently using that, um, relying on that as part of the promotion for the next game. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know the details exactly. I know that um, one of DC's supporters groups, uh, the Screaming Eagles, is doing a um, like a two for one kind of thing where you can get a ticket to a DC game and then get a ticket to uh, the Spirits game um, against um, Rain FC. So you, it, it's, um, I guess the Seattle Sounders are coming out the week later. So it's, it's like a two for one for the Seattle teams. Oh, uh, nice. kind of. Um, so that, you know, they're, they're, that's something that had to be worked out that, that, that doesn't just happen on its own. Um, so they're, they're reaching out. That's a new group that hasn't previously, I mean, the Screaming Eagles have been friendly to the spirit and show up for spirit games, but they aren't there as an organized supporters group, but they've, um, reached out in a way and made this connection where that's that's going on. Um, I think we'll see in the coming weeks. I know that getting through this game uh, was, you know, it was kind of maxing everyone out, even with the, you know, everything I said about staffing up and giving people more time to do what they're best at. It's still pu- everyone's pushing to their limits to sell a stadium out. So um, I'm sure in the coming weeks they've got more stuff coming um, to get to get you know the same kind of number. I know. Um, that after the game, uh, and I, I published a piece uh, two or three hours ago before we recorded here, um, with some quotes from Steve Baldwin and Andy Sullivan and inside the organization, um, whether it's ownership, whether it's team staffers or, or players, there's a big emphasis on making sure that this wasn't just the one time that they did it. Um, they want this to become a regular thing. If they play a game in Audi field, they want this crew of crowd to show up. Um, and they, I think they know that it's not just going to happen on its own. Um, so there's a, maybe a, a lift in uh, focus um, uh, or intensity within the organization to really make sure that this happens. Um, their first year uh, at Audi Field, as a contrast, I think it was all very much like, look, we don't know how this is going to go. We have no real idea um, what's going to happen here. Uh, obviously 2018, the, the team itself, um, the results on the field weren't going to sell any tickets. So they had to figure out other ways to, to work with that problem. Um, and they were, they were pleasantly surprised by what they could pull off at that time. Um, but the organization is now, there's more money behind it. There is much more public ambition, uh, much more willingness to talk about, um, pushing things further and, and making this a bigger club. Um, I know, you know, kind of unsurprisingly, Steve Baldwin said that they had an internal um, a thing on the whiteboard where people were supposed to write out their their prediction for the tickets sold uh, number. And, you know, as an owner trying to inspire employees, of course, you're going to go in and write, a, you know, sell out whatever the maximum number you can possibly sell is you're going to write that because um, that's that's just a good way to, to hold everyone to that standard. And um, but it's funny because he said that and it also sounded like it wasn't just like it was that, but it was also um, he believed that they were going to do it. Um, so it was like the honest prediction was also happened to fall in line with um, wanting to motivate your employees in that way. So um, internally, there's a real drive uh, to to make sure that we aren't talking about. I, I think maybe the idea is to make sure that we're not talking about this one game as the one time, you know, two or three years from now. If you're like, oh, remember that time that they sold out Audi Field? I don't think they want it to be that. I think they want it to be like they did it that one time and then it just kept happening. Um, and so right, that's right. that's the the focus from the organization I get is that um, everyone uh, off field, on field, uh, I think they're all 
really uh, enthusiastic about the work that's going to have to go in because it it is a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of work for any of these teams uh, to sell this number of tickets. Um, and, it, you know, it takes that level of enthusiasm. You have to really relish that task to to get this sort of thing done. And it seems like that's where they are now. So it's it's been um, a real lift, I think, as an organization to get to the point where they could have pulled this off. Because I think in the past, they wouldn't have been able to. They would have been able, you know, if the team were better in 2018, we might have been talking about 12,000, 13,000. Um, right. But right. there's a difference between getting to 12, 13 and getting the place sold out. And they're at a position where they can pull it off now. Yeah. And the most important thing I'm hearing from what you're talking about, what the, what the team is doing is they're thinking Mm long-term and they're, and they're thinking all the steps in between, you know, of, uh, as opposed to, okay, we just want this one big, big game that, that breaks a record. It's like, no, how can we treat that game as the beginning of a wave and not just a one-off peak. And, and I think that's, you know, that's a challenge for selling tickets, regardless of sport, gender kind of thing. Tickets don't sell themselves. Um, Even games that we assume sell themselves out, like say a U.S. Mexico men's match. I've been involved with a lot of those in Houston, there's still a lot of hard work behind mm-hmm. the scenes to make sure that you're promoting it, you know, so people know it's happening, know how to buy tickets, you know, that every possible outlet is is getting the word that, you know, that you've shared with the media, um, you know, who's playing in the game and, you know, why it's exciting and, you know, all, everything around it. And, so it's, you know, it's so great to hear that from a club that I feel has been a little bit hamstrung by by being at the Plex, mm-hmm. you know, um, but we understand why, you know, the, the club has been at the Plex. So so I, I like, you know, from an outsider's point of view, that it looks like, um, you know, the the current spirit management is, is looking at, okay, you know, slow steps into how do we, you know, eventually possibly move into Audi field not something that's going to happen overnight but Mm -hmm. you know we're working that and when you think of 19,000 you know people at at, at a game like that and sure you don't have everybody's emails but you suddenly have contact info for a lot more people and Mm -hmm. you know I would like to think that they were able to sell a lot more merch right so then you got more you got more people walking around wearing a Rose Lavelle jersey right Oh, yeah, you know, um, all, all all those kind of things can can keep feeding on top of each other. Yeah, and and I'm glad you mentioned the merch because uh, you know it's, it's it was funny looking around because I you know coming into a game like this you you start to think um what you're going to see at the stadium and one of the things you're I'm used to seeing at at any women's soccer game has been you see women's national team jerseys um and you'll see yeah. Yeah. you know if. if if the pride come to town, you're going to see Alex Morgan jerseys. Um, and I saw some, some Morgan jerseys on my way in driving through the city, but um, I also saw, you know, a couple, a whole family in Mal Pugh spirit jerseys. Um, as I got close to the stadium, I saw a couple of Orlando fans with Rachel Hill jerseys, which uh, I thought was a pretty cool thing to see. Just um, wow. you know, people, people have their genuine their NWSL favorites. It's not just, Oh, I saw the national team win the world cup. It's like, no, no, um, 
the the club team I have, this is my favorite player from the club. And it, it's not right. a superstar. It's it's someone that's been there for a few years and has put in a lot of hard work. Or, um, went, or went to my college or yeah. used to play for this other team. Or, yeah, there's all all those different kind of connections that can be made. And, you know, after the game, you walking, you have to cut out of, when you come from the press box, you have to cut through a bit of the crowd to get down to the locker room area for the mix zone. Uh-huh. Um, and just cutting through there, you know, I saw a few people with uh, bags that were from, from the stadium. They had, they had purchased something at the stadium. So um, for a lot of folks, it was like, it wasn't just let's go to the game and that's the end of it. It's like, you know, this was really fun. Maybe I'll go get a shirt. Maybe I'll go get a scarf yeah. or something. Um, yeah. so, you know, these things, they really do add up. Um, but it, you know, it starts with a few and then you chip away and chip away. And then you have an occasion like this where maybe this is sort of like the next level of that sort of snowball effect and it starts to get bigger and bigger. Um, you know, I, I, a lot of DC United fans, um, for years now have uh, anytime I post about the spirit, it seems like I'll get a comment where it's like, yeah, I would really love to go, but like I live in, in DC, I don't have a car. Um, I right. use public transportation in my bike and um, our, our site's former um, spirit correspondent, Caitlin Buckley used to, um, she would take the bus to the soccer plex to attend training sessions. And it would be like a two to three hour trip. And it was, you know, waiting for buses, waiting for this, waiting for that. Yeah, and um, I, I know the metro's closest stop is what, like a fifteen-minute drive from the port. Oh yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. close. Um, yeah, there, there is no reliable way to get up there uh, in any kind of reasonable amount of time. And then um, once the game ends, it's even harder because um, by the time you know it gets to be nine or ten o'clock, uh, public transit slows down or shut some bus lines shut down for the night by that hour. So. Um, yeah, it, it putting it up there, it, it definitely isolates the team a little bit. Um, but a lot of those DC fans who have been saying, telling me for years, like, oh, well, you know, um, if they played at, at Audi Field, I would definitely show up. And and the whole time, anyone that's been around women's soccer, you've hear, you've heard things like that. Yeah. Um, and you kind of like roll your eyes, like, all right, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see what happens when the game comes. Yeah. Um, but it, to, you know, to their credit, I looked around and and. A lot of those people who were saying that to me over the years were at the game. Um, they were, you know, posting their photos. They were talking about how much of a good time they had, all this other stuff. And so um, people really were willing to to put their money where their mouth is. And that's a really big sign because if you look at D.C. as a soccer market, um, there's always uh, in the TV ratings for the Premier League viewership, uh, DC is always in the top 10. It seems like every single time when you look at uh, the women's national team ratings from the world cup, they were always up there. And, um, and all the games that have been held at mm-hmm. RFK in the past, I mean, like I, I went to the game in 2013 that was U S men versus Germany on basically the celebration weekend yeah. for hundred years of U S soccer. And the women played in Canada on, on the same day, you know, like that's it, it, it's, it has such a history, a different kind of history than say, you know, Portland or, or, or Seattle, but it's mm-hmm. got a long history of hosting games, you know, and you think of John and Maureen Hendricks, you know, helping found WSA and Mia Hamm having played the Washington freedom and Abby Wambach having played for three, you know, it, it's like, there's, there's such a history there. So it's not, it's nice to see like this all coming to, 
fruition. But uh, mm-hmm. let, let's talk a little bit about the game itself because it was a very important game for the spirit. Um, you know, especially with the spirit and the and the dash before this game being pretty close in the standings and spirit getting the win, dash getting the getting a loss, mm-hmm. kind of you know is, is helping helping the spirit kind of close in on a on a potential playoff spot. And it's such a young roster, and, and of course new coach, uh, and had a long stretch in the summer with without a lot of success. But but talk about the last few games for the spirit and obviously specifically this one, you know, pulling out the win. Uh, I, I think this game, um, I, I noticed, uh, I was writing my article and I, I realized that once you take Pew and Lavelle out of the equation and you take away some of the Australian internationals, um, when you, you mentioned this was a young team, um, the lineup that started the game for, for Richie Burke in this game, um, I believe had a total of 13 senior level caps for the entire group. And Andy Sullivan had 11 of those caps. Um, So yeah, it it kind of, um, it was, it was really crunch time, Uh, you know, putting aside the, the occasion and um, the great news on ticket sales or everything. This was a game the spirit had to win. Um, You know, Orlando has Orlando beat the spirit earlier this year, but it's been a, um, a struggle for them. And it's a kind of team where if you can't beat them at home at this point in the season, you have to start to think that it's just not going to go your way this year. Um, yeah. And to have to face that game with, um, you know, Pew is out, Lavelle is out. Um, Kellen Knight pulled a hamstring in the Wednesday game against Utah. Um, Chloe Lagarzo, I haven't heard, I can't confirm anything. I haven't heard what happened, but I did notice that, when she substitute when she was substituted against Utah, she also kind of grabbed at the back of her leg um, as she was coming off. So um, you've got a lot of the team's experienced players uh, at the highest levels are the ones that are hurt right now. So um, the young the youngsters really had to uh, come through, uh, and so I, I think for the spirit to get this result in front of the crowd like that with the youth that they had on the field, I think that it it in a way it meant a little more in the locker room and in within yeah. the, the coaching staff and the players, because, um, you know, getting it done when you're that shorthanded um, and not to say that, you know, not, not to pretend that Orlando wasn't short as well with, with Morgan missing out. And I think they had six other players uh, out yeah. injured. So, um, you know, it's not that it was only the spirit going through it, of course, but um, you know, they, they were relying on so many uh young and or new players uh you've got multiple rookies in the starting lineup um players who haven't been in nwsl for a few years or have never played in the league at all before um i think bailey feist came in so that that gave them a third rookie uh in at the end of the game um yeah it's been it's been interesting over the whole season um i think there's a there are two different mindsets within that they're trying to balance uh, within their their goals for the year and it's on one hand um, this is a young team that's going to get better and you want to keep the group together and make sure they're actually improving um, and you understand that there might be some bumps in the road so you don't want to be too harsh when they play badly but on the other hand um, I don't think anyone attached to the spirit. I don't think they want to miss the playoffs or, or they're like, Oh, well, you know, we're very young. So of course we might come up just short. Um, I don't think they want to have that enter their minds. I think they're still driven to, to get there. Um, Even with 
um, all the turnover, um, you know, so many of these players, Tori Huster is the only player that's been there for more than, uh, what, two or three years. Um, it's, it's, uh, I think it's her. And then you'd have to go to like, uh, Maggie Doherty Howard and Kelly Farkason were the next most tenured spirit players in the lineup on the day. And they've only been around for a couple of seasons. So, um, yeah, this is, uh, this was a real, um, tribute to the the mental strength of that group um uh, of some of those young players because uh, the soccer side of it the game was was wide open for a long stretch that the spirit I think would be the quick to tell you that they didn't really want the game to be so open where Orlando is getting just as many chances as they are I think they did a lot of things the way they want to do it um they didn't quite control the game in the way they would want um I think as much as the spirit have piled up possession in most of their games. I think they'd like at two one up to start to make, make use of that possession to sort of um, take the wind out of Orlando's sails, make them chase the ball. Um, and they weren't quite able to do that uh, in the way that they want, especially in the, the final few minutes um, with, uh, you know, Marta hitting the crossbar. Aubrey Bledsoe had the save that I, I know a lot of pride players thought had crossed the line. Um, I can't, I can't say for sure whether they did that that was at the other end of the stadium. So for me, it was like, did it go in? And then I looked down the line to the AR and I was like, I, I guess it didn't. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, those were big moments. Um, it's, it's um, you know, for Bledsoe to come up with the save and, and Nielsen to then make sure the ball got clear rather than getting tapped in afterwards. Um, those are the kind of things that could uh, really serve as a spark for the team, not just the win, but the, the nature of the wind to, 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 come through a real test in those final 10 minutes um, and survive and, and get a win after it had been a spell where the spirit had been playing all right, but not getting the results that they wanted. Um, You know, they played fairly well in Portland, I thought, but they gave up two goals very early and, and weren't able to, to overcome that, which that happens to a lot of people when you go to Portland. Um, They had a zero, zero draw midweek against Utah, which was a game that, if they had won that game, I think they would be what tied uh, with Utah now. It would, yeah, it would be Utah, Washington, and Rain FC all on twenty-seven points if they had gotten a goal in that game. Um, so they they've been getting a lot of tough luck kind of results where they played well, but they weren't quite able to put that last little bit together to turn a good performance into a win. Um, and that's one of those things that happens with young teams. Um, you you do a lot of things right, but then you have one or two letdowns and you end up wondering like, well, how did we not win that game? And it's like, well, we had that one moment where things went wrong. Um, This was a game that could have gone that way, but they found a way to make sure it didn't. And I think if, if the spirit end up, you know, making the jump and getting into the playoffs, they're, they're three points out right now. So they're still in the discussion uh, for sure. Um, But if they get there, I think the performance uh, in this game is going to be a big, a big factor when they look back on it because they needed to sort of figure out that and sort of learn on their own that they could do this. They could dig deep and come through a high pressure game and actually get the result and not just get a good performance, but actually put the result together that they needed. Um, so yeah, I think it meant a lot uh, to the players. I think they were there, there was relief for sure because it had been a little while since they'd won a game. Um, I think their last win had been, um, back in they they won at sky blue in in late july was their last win so it had been a little while um but the fact that they got the job done um 
I think it, it bodes well for their mindset. Um, and, and I think it bodes well for them that they got it done without needing uh, their bigger names. Uh, they, they came through with a roster that kind of, kind of had that midweek feel. Uh, it was the, it was the kind of lineup that you see on a Wednesday rather than a Saturday sometimes. Um, but they, they got the job done anyway. And I think it, it meant a lot to them. It was, it was a special moment just, you know, if it had been played at the Plex, the nature of the game would have been a special moment for them soccer in soccer terms. Right. The fact that it happened in front of this huge crowd just amplified it that much more. Yeah. And, and one last thing, Jason, I, I want to hear your thoughts on Aubrey Bledsoe because she's having such a tremendous season following mm-hmm. what was already a, a really strong season last year. But of course the pieces in front of her, uh, seem a little bit stronger, more cohesive this year. So, you know, to me, I, I'm I'm thinking whoever the new U.S. national team coach is needs to at least give her a camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think I think she certainly put herself. She she's improved this year. Um, you know, last year on a shot stopping perspective, I, I think it was hard to be critical of her. She just came came up with the the big save over and over again it's just the team wasn't good enough to do very much with that um this year the team being better has obviously helped but I think she has improved um in terms of her footwork her positioning um her distribution has gotten a little better um there's a little more uh composure uh I I would say um just just uh in my, my own reading of it it seems like her decision making process is a little less um high intensity and maybe, you know, rushing some decisions coming off her line too early, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. She's making fewer of those kind of mistakes um, and giving herself a chance to make more of these saves. And sometimes you go through a game and maybe she only makes one dramatic save, but you realize it's because last year she maybe was a step out of position and had to make the dramatic save. And this year she's making a few more look routine where it's not a, it's she's reading the play better. Yeah, it's not an easy save, but it's it looks easy because she's thought ahead and is already where she needs to be to know exactly what's coming. Um, so yeah, I think um, when you look at the national team goalkeeping pool, um, Ashlyn Harris, I'm sure is still. If you asked her, she's probably still uh, wants to be a part of it. I, I feel like, um, but when you start to think of the future of the program, um, you start to look at players' ages and you think, well, will they be around for the next World Cup? That's the nature of the women's national team. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think um, there's definitely an opening there um, where someone could be coming in to compete. Um, it's not going to be easy for um, for her because it's not like no. the league is short on goalkeepers. Right, um, right. <laughs> you know, you look around and um, French has barely gotten any caps. Um and Casey Murphy has been mostly really good uh, since coming back from France. So uh, there's a lot of competition there. It seems like every team has, you know, uh, has a goalkeeper that's a backup. That's like, what do I have to do to get on a team where I'm the starter? Because there's just too many goalkeepers. Yeah. Um, Ones need, need that, that camp and those call-ups because, you know, you got to at least, you know, look at him at the next level and, you know, bring them all together and, and, mm-hmm. and let them know there's an opportunity. Right. You know, I, yeah. I just, it, yeah, it's a boost topic from, from, from spirit, but it's like, you know, we've seen in the last cycle with the keepers, you know, it's like French only has one cap mm-hmm. and she really only got that one cap because of 
an injury right you know to 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 nair during during she believes so it's like yeah like like we've got this incredible pool of goalkeepers let's at least you know <laughs> give some of them a run out and, and and make sure that our keepers remain as intensely competitive and excellent as as they've been but anyway i'm really looking forward to 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 seeing the next home game for for the spirit at at Audi Field and you know of course paying close attention to those attendance numbers but Jason thank you so much for for taking the time to talk about that game and and for your coverage of the Washington Spirit oh anytime uh glad to come on and and it's really uh it's a pleasure to talk about especially this year the spirit uh things are a lot different now it's it's a lot more fun to talk about what's going on All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. Reminder to NWSL fans, especially if you're not in the U.S., ESPN now has the worldwide rights to NWSL streams. This is a long-term good thing in terms of revenue, but a short-term obstacle for international fans. For the rest of the season, international fans must already have access to their regional ESPN channel or TSN in Canada if you want to watch. Meanwhile, Yahoo remains the provider for USA streams, and there's no login necessary to access games on Yahoo Sports. So I would highly recommend to all international fans to figure out how to use a VPN, simple software that can make it so that Yahoo Sports thinks you're browsing from the USA, uh, because otherwise Yahoo is not accessible if uh, if your computer thinks you're not in the USA. I would also reach out to the Twitter account at NWSL Tech Support for help. And keep in mind every game, every NWSL game, whether it's on a national channel um, or Yahoo, once it's two days, once it's 48 hours past kickoff, all the games revert to NWSLsoccer.com uh, and you no longer need um, to access any of those. So really the challenge is watching live. Um, of course, that's what we all want to do. But once you're more than two days past a uh, kickoff of a game, you can go back to NWSLsoccer.game and access any, any game you want via the schedule the bar at the top of the page. And speaking of NWSL, we are less than two months away from the NWSL championship game. Tickets are on sale now at NWSLsoccer.com slash championship. That game will be played Sunday, October 27th in Cary, North Carolina. And as of this week, still no team has been eliminated from playoff contention. The semis will be played on Sunday, October 20th, hosted by the number one and number two seeds. And we probably won't know for another three weeks who those top seeds will be because the standings have been pretty close. And this week in the the FIFA break, we've got two more Women's World Cup Victory Tour games. The U.S. women will face Portugal on August 29th in Philly and then on September 3rd in St. Paul. The game in Philly, uh, we already know, is going to set a new record for a U.S. women's national team friendly. uh, Well more than 44,000 fans. And that game will air live on Fox Sports 1 and then the Minnesota game will be on ESPN 2. So for more info about either of those games or the October Victory Tour games, check out U.S. Soccer Com. And of course, shout out to Kristen Hamilton, Casey Short, who got called up 
to these games in addition to the 23 World Cup players. And last but not least, I uh, have to give a pitch for my Keeper Notes Almanac as we're approaching the playoffs. This is the best time to read up on NWSL history, previous playoffs, seasons, player registry, photos, all kinds of great things. You can buy a print version or a PDF version. Just go to keepernotes.com and check it out. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. I uh, want to thank everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who tweets about it. And many, many thanks to PK Ray for coming in clutch to put this episode of the Mixed Zone together. But now she's anybody's girl.